Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we do praise you for being an awesome God, Father, for working in our lives and to minister to us, Father. We thank you that wherever we go, you're there. You, you hold our hand, Father, in, in, our, in our joy in our, and in our rebellion. And Father, I thank you that you're a loving, patient God that puts up with us. We are weak, Father, and we need the strength of eagles, Father, for us to continue. Pour out Your Spirit here today, Father. Strengthen us with the things that we do not have because we are in need. Father, I love You, I praise You, and I give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you uh, are just stepping into our text as we're going through the book of Isaiah, uh, we're watching Isaiah the prophet. He's ministering to kings. Kings are, are, are struggling. Uh, King Hezekiah was struggling. And, and Isaiah supported him and encouraged him and, and, and had him go through a massive victory. I think one of the biggest victories in the Bible where they took on the Assyrian army and wiped out 185,000 Assyrians. Woohoo! Great victory. And then we watched Hezekiah fall flat on his face, filled with pride. He's bragging to the Babylonians on how he is. And with his pride, Isaiah says... You're going to crash and you're going to crash hard. God's taking the kingdom away. And Hezekiah demonstrated the weakness of man. In all of us, we are weak. We, we lack strength. We have nothing to give birth to, nothing to grab hold of with you and I in our own strength. And so God is coming up with a new strength something outside of ourselves to encourage us to get through the day to realize that God is going to do something wonderful in our lives. And Isaiah starts after chapter 40. He's going to get into this beautiful, we said, a tapestry. He's weaving several themes together. And what we see, as we've understood the last few weeks, that there's three servants that are going to be portrayed. God is sending three different servants to do the task. And we said the first one was Israel. Israel was the servant of God. And we saw how Israel failed. God called it the worm. <laughs> said, you worm, you're a failure. The things that God set in motion for Israel to do, it failed miserably to do. To be a light, to be the head, to be the leader of the world, it failed. And, 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 and in Hezekiah's pride, it failed. But then we saw two other servants, and we touched on it uh, lightly with this guy Cyrus, and he's going to be the second servant. This guy Cyrus is going to be a military leader, and we're going to develop him a little bit more today. And, and Cyrus was the one that was going to bring about a victory. He was the one that was going to destroy the Babylonians, and God calls him out here today by name. This is 150 years into the future, and he says, you guys are going down hard, but there's going to be a military ruler who's going to bring about great victory with the sword. Military victories don't last long in this world. 
And what we see in the third servant is the ultimate victory is the servant that God is going to bring about is going to be the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, which we know to be Jesus. And we covered that extensively last week where we saw that he was going to be a leader in righteousness. He was going to set the captives free, open the eyes of the blind. Finally, someone who was going to do the right thing, the right way to bring in everlasting peace. And so God is working to deliver the nation to say there is hope. There are things, I like it, outside of yourselves that God is doing to strengthen you to get you through your day-to-day life. And so we want to see this as we look at this. And just as a side note, I want to make mention that what we take out of it now is we look at, we look at Israel. And we are doing some bashing on the Jewish people. They're failing. They're the worm. Uh, But we take that first and foremost as that's really you and I. As Israel fails, people, you and I fail, Johnny Gentile, we fail even worse. And the message for you and I is if, if God can put up with the stupidity of Israel... And that's the message that's happening, that nevertheless God loves Israel. Then the the overall message is, is of course, well, if God loves His children, His people, Israel, then for you and I who call ourselves children of God, who believe in God and put our trust in God, that God is going to be faithful with you and I. And so we study the Old Testament. We study the things of Israel because, you know what, that speaks a message. Here's God's son. It failed miserably. God's servant, it deserves a good swift kick. You and I deserve a good swift kick. And if God could be patient with them, redeem them, you and I can also be redeemed. And and the overall message is a message of hope. It's a message of no matter how bad you fail, God loves you. God cares about you. On the Wednesday night study, we just finished going through Timothy, and we just read in Timothy where Paul says, he goes, it's a trustworthy statement. He says, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Like that. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, He will also deny us. But if we're faithless, if you and I are faithless and we fall apart and are weak, He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. And so our job is to say, Lord, I don't want to deny You. I'm I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm ignorant. I'm weak. I need help, God. And as we cry upon the Lord, God is so faithful for us in our place of of our weakness. That's the, message of, that's the message of Isaiah. It's clear and simple. So we're watching this tapestry start to be interwoven. So as we get into chapter 44 today, he's going to start with, But now listen, O Jacob. Chapter 44, verse 1. My servant and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you. And as Chris was saying today during worship, and formed you in the womb. God put you together even before you were born. A little bit of a pro-life message there. Of course, we believe that that child in the womb 
is, is being knit together and cared for by God. He formed us with a purpose. That's what it is. He had a predetermined plan, and He's going to help you. He's the one who will help you. And the message is, do not fear. And He says, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. So notice, if you would, Jacob and Jeshurun are one and the same. Uh, It's a different terminology, if you would. Uh, Jacob, if you know, uh, has a connotation. The name itself really means... Uh, it means uh, surplanter. It means heel catcher. It means someone who's going to trip someone up. It means, as Gail Irwin likes to say, dirty, rotten, sneaky thief. That's what Jacob means. Jacob in his B.C. days, <laughs> before conversion, he was a weasel. That's what Jacob was. He was one of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he was the son that was a, a, a sneak. He was a weasel. He was a conniver. And as we know the story in Genesis chapter 32, he then confronts the Lord. He wrestles with the Lord all night. The angel of the Lord shows up as this big wrestler. And they wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. And then finally, at the end of it, Jacob is saying, you know, I surrender. Hey, I, I, I give. Uncle. And then the angel of the Lord says, I'm going to change your name to Israel. Israel meaning prince. You're not, you're not a dirty, rotten, sneaky thief anymore. You're a prince. And, and so when God tells the nation of Israel, right? So the descendants of Israel is the nation of Israel. And so God's coming up and he goes, yeah, Jacob. You go, ooh, that's a bad thing. Don't call me Jacob. That's dirty, rotten, sneaky thief. You're reminding me of my low life days. And, and now he's saying, yeah, he goes, do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, you dirty, rotten, sneaky thief. And then he says, in Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Now, Jeshurun for us, is a, it's a pet name. It, it's a, a, a people, a group. And Jeshurun literally means, O upright one. Someone who's standing upright. And, and I like it. It's, it's a name of, you know, hey, buddy, buddy. Hey, hey good old pal. Hey, you're my, you're my friend. And, and, and God is saying, hey, Jacob, you failure. You're, you're not that. You're my friend. And he's trying to include Israel. And he's trying to say, I like this. He's trying to say, you know, God still loves you, even though you failed. So he says, verse 3, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, God giving in our lack. And I like this. It says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Uh, I don't know if you uh, were here Wednesday night. We went through uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2 on uh, Wednesday night. I would beg you uh, to come and get involved on some Wednesdays to go through the book of Acts with us. But that is the distinguishing strength that we have is the pouring, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which was prophesied here. He's got to pour out His Spirit upon your offspring. And so we think of life, life that we, 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 we drudge through. And we go, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And, and we think of life in so many terms as what we've got to do. Well, if I'm going to be a Christian, well, that means I better quit this, quit this, quit that, and quit this. And you know how hard it is to quit those things? Oh, it it takes every strength of my fiber to stand up to quit something. And we said Christianity is not just quitting. 
just because you don't smoke, don't drink, don't do drugs, and, and you've got a marriage that works, that doesn't mean you go to heaven. That's not the strength that God wants to put into your life. God wants to pour out His Spirit upon you. He wants to give you something that not of yourselves to strengthen you. And when the Spirit of the Lord comes over, this is the bomb that Christ wanted to drop into our lap so that we would have power, that dudamos power we talked about, that's explosive. And you can say, well, this isn't me anymore. It's the Spirit of the Lord. And I, I beg you to get involved with a Wednesday night. It's some great stuff coming on. A couple of people were saying it was the best sermon ever on Wednesday night. But uh, it was up there. Get the tape. It's uh, worth every bit of forty nine ninety five. <laughs> we give them away. But it's worth it. But uh, uh, the, the, the promise is that God is going to pour out my spirit on your offspring, on your, on your descendants, and my blessings on your descendants. And they will spring up among uh, the grass like poplars by streams of water, just bursting forth with growth. This one will say, I'm the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of, uh, of Jacob, uh, that God can convert and change. And another will write on his hand, and I like this, belonging to the Lord and will name Israel's name with honor. And God is telling the people that even though they're falling flat on their face, that God loves them. He's got to bring back Israel to a place of honor. And I like the expression. It's like a, a little schoolgirl. Uh, uh, the little girl as she's going through puberty and starts to find boys and all of a sudden has this little infatuation and, and falls in love with Johnny and she just takes Johnny's name and, and she writes it all over her school book. She writes Johnny's name even though she can't, is, is too ashamed to talk to him. She's just like, oh Johnny, it's written on my name. Woo! And God's looking for people that are kind of giddy, that little schoolgirl love and saying, you know what, Israel's going to come back to that schoolgirl kind of love for me. They're going to just be giddy. They're going to be wanting to just write their na my name on their hands. They're going to be a place of honor. And God's going to say, even though you've fallen flat on your face, you worm, there's redemption for you to be built back up. You can fall back in love with God. So he says, verse 6, <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Who is like me? He's asking a question. Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation. And let them declare to them the things that are coming. We talked about this a few weeks ago about the accuracy of prophecy. God stands uh, 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 separate from the class of the rest of the so-called gods and says, who else can predict the future? The Bible has to a message to the Gentile world the accuracy of prophecy that we can stand and look at and say, look what God said beforehand because it's coming true today. It's already been fulfilled. God's prophetic word is 100% accurate. And so God is up there. He's touting Himself. And He says, who else can do this? Who else cares for you? What are your options? He says, the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. I'll tell you these things. He says, do not tremble and do not be afraid. And I love that encouragement. That compassion, we said, is what makes Christianity distinct from the rest of the religions. 
God is a compassionate God. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Have I not long since denounced it to you and declared it? And uh, you are my witnesses. And he's asking the question, is there any God besides me? Is there any other rock? <laughs> and God's like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't know of any. <laughs> God's like, I've, I've looked throughout the universe and, and there are no other gods. I'm it. I'm the only one. And he's saying, hey, I'm the only hope you got. And, and now in the Bible, whenever you see the word God with a capital G, right, you're talking about the God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name Yahweh, Jehovah, the name of God that is being set aside. And when the Bible speaks about other gods, supposedly these other things that men worship, they always put the little g in front of them. And what God is saying is, you know what? I've even looked for some of these little g gods out there. God's like, I can't find any. You know what? They don't exist. You've made them up in your minds. That's about as far as they're going to go. But you know what? There are no other gods out there. You got me. I love you. There are no other options. And I love you and I take care of you. And, and, and God is speaking of the uniqueness of Him. There, there's, there's a hole in your heart, we said, and there's only one thing that's going to fill that. There's a uniqueness of the one true God. He's not like all the others. He's one that can prophesy. He's your source of life. He's your creator. And, and God is saying, I'm it. You have to deal with the God issue we talked about last week. I'm the creator. I'm the answer. And most importantly, here's the word for you. God is our home. He's the place where our soul finds rest. And we can sit down and go, I'm at home. I'm at home when I'm before my God. And nothing else is going to satisfy that. And God's like, where else? what else do you have? Who's like me? What can happen? And so God kind of goes on a tirade here in the next few verses, and he's got to start beating on some idolatry again. We've seen this several times already in Isaiah. But God says, those who fashion a graven image, an idol, anybody who's going to worship, bow down to something else. He says, all of them are futile. That's one of my favorite words in the Bible. I always say this, but I always think of that. Uh, you know, the robot on uh, Lost in Space with little Will Robinson. And the robot's running around flailing his arms. He goes, it's futile, Will Robinson. It's futile. And you always think of this. It's futile. We're not going to get out of here. We're, not gonna, we're all going to die. It's futile. And he's saying it's futile. It's, it's a waste of time. Those who fashion a graven image, all of them are futile. And, uh, and their precious things are of no profit. So all these other gods out there, anything that they have that you know is gold, silver, or whatever is trash. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know so that they will be put to shame. And he says, who has fashioned a god, notice the little g, or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame. For the craftsmen, each one of these guys was made by someone. The craftsmen themselves are nothing besides mere men. Who wants to worship the work of men that are weak? 
Let them all assemble themselves. You gather them all up together in a room. Let them stand up. Let them tremble. Let them come together uh, to, and we'll put them to shame, he says. Where, where are all these gods? Can you grab them together? I'd like to talk to a few of them. He goes, the man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning with hammers and working it uh, with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. So you got a weak man making an image out of something with hammers. That's what you're going to worship, God says, something you made with your hands. Any man, if he drinks no water, becomes weary. Oh, another guy turns around and he shapes wood. And he extends a measuring line and he measures it out with red chalk and he, he's, he's angling everything to make this little idol and says, oh, I'm going to make a beautiful idol out of this block of wood. He works it with planes and he outlines it with a compass and he makes it like the form of a man. Like the beauty of man. So you finally made this statue, if you would. And what does this statue do? I kind of like this. So that it just sits in a house. That's all this statue does. It sits there. It does nothing. Kind of picture the, uh, the lady who says, yeah, I got me a man. <laughs> and that's what he does. He just sits in the house and does nothing. <laughs> How about getting me a man that does something? <laughs> so what? You got a man. <laughs> I want a man that moves... <laughs> <laughs> that functions, right? I, I, I always think of uh, Howard Silverman here. Um, he's a good friend of mine. He's got a Messianic Jewish church here in town. And uh, he tells the story of his wife who's a Gentile. And, uh, and he always says, you know, my wife, you know, before she got married, she used to go, you know... Uh, he says, my wife used to always say that she had a burden for the Jews. And now that we're married, all she's got is a Jewish burden. <laughs> and you go, and you go, how many times, you know, did the people sit there and do nothing? And, and, and that's not Howard. Howard's a good friend of mine. But um, uh, here it is, you go, here God's saying, he goes, so what? You make a man. It's a nice statue, but what does it do? It does nothing. That, that's, that's not anything to brag about. So it just sits in a house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a, a cypress uh, or a, an oak and, and raises it up for himself among the trees of the forest and uh, plants a fir and the rain makes it grow. God goes, where did the rain come from? It's from me. But you take this thing that's grown and then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself he also makes a fire to bake bread. He also, well, you know, you take the same piece of, of wood and then you make a god out of it. Well, that's some impressive god that's just a lump of wood. And you worship it. He makes a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat as he roasts uh, a roast and is satisfied. So you cook with half of it and he also warms himself and says, Ah! I am warm. I've seen the fire. Look at me. I'm a great man. I can burn a log. But the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image. He falls down before it and worships. And he also prays to it and says, Oh, deliver me for you are my god. They do not know, nor do they understand 
For he has smeared over their eyes so they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. God's blinded them. People are stupid enough to worship an idol. You can just see God, the creator of the universe, saying, Hey, look, guys, I made you. I've done wonderful things. I'm a God that's alive and vibrant. I prophesy. I speak to my people. And man turns around and worships a stupid piece of wood, a a, a piece of concrete, a, a, a block of rock. Can you just see God up in heaven saying, What's wrong with man? What's their problem? you got one option up here and you're taking a cheap second option. It just doesn't work out. He says, verse 19, So no one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and I've also baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Well, then I make the rest into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes and listen to this, a deceived heart has turned him aside. That's the only reason why people do things like that. They're blind. And he cannot deliver himself nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? People just can't see how blind they are when it comes to idolatry. God has a conniption over idolatry. Ichiban, number one rule. There are no other gods besides me. First of the Ten Commandments. Second one is, you shall have no graven images. That's number one and number two out of the big Ten Commandments. The rest of them, you know, they all fall second to those. And yet God looks at man who wants to worship something. He wants to create an idol. You know, we don't, we don't ever want to have a statue in our church. We don't ever want you to think that there's something special about a statue you've got to go up and kiss or adore or walk down and, and bow in front of. It's a piece of wood. It's a piece of concrete. You want to sit down there and says our God is not limited to this place, this location, that this is something special and this is where God is. God, by his own very definition, is limitless. That's why he hates idolatry. Because as soon as you can make an idol and you put God into a two-by-four-foot box, you've just limited God into a two-by-four-foot box. You've just limited. As soon as you make an image and say, this is our God, you've just turned around and made that image and said, now I have all the definitions and characteristics of who God is. And God turns around and says, I'm sorry. I'm so much bigger than anything you could ever fathom or imagine or understand. Don't you dare try to limit me. I'm bigger than anything you could even think about. As soon as you say God's the size of Texas, you just limited him. God's bigger than Texas. And God can, can outgo any imagination and he despises that he would be quantitative into an image, into a form of anything. God forbid people that would sit down and say, we worship this because... Jesus is too busy, so we, we worship this idol over here. We pray to this form of something over there. It's an abomination. God takes it as that. And He wants you and I to have an open, free relationship to go into our spirit, into His spirit, and to experience the vastness of God. God is not too busy for you. He loves you. He cares about you. And I don't care what struggles you're going through. God has a space for you and He's written your name on His hand. And He's trying to say, I don't care how bad you failed. 
You couldn't do anything worse than Israel, and I love Israel. I don't care if you're a murderer. I don't care if your blood's all over your hand. I don't care how bad you have blasphemed God. There's forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. And God says, why would you turn away from my love to, to accomplish what? God is big. Worship is for Him and for Him alone. Never given to anything else. Book of Revelation, John the Apostle stands up there and he sees an angel. And I guess when you and I see an angel in its form, the only response of John is to go, bam, hit the deck, sit down and say, whoa, dude, you know, I'm in the presence of an angel. And the angel turns around and says, would you get up? You don't worship anything besides God and God alone. I'm just an angel. Get up. Wipe yourself off. And when you see God, you worship Him and Him alone. Nothing else to, to take care of, uh, uh, should take our eyes off of the Lord. And we should be looking. And hopefully, yes, as people have our eyes open and we do start to ask questions and say, where did I come from? What is my purpose here? Where am I going when I die? And I am astounded at the level of people that, that fall into idolatry, foolishness, because they close their eyes to basic questions. This evolution versus creation. Uh, uh, that's an important fundamental question. Did you just come out of a, uh, the slime? You're just some worm that advanced? You're nothing more than a dog on the street? There's no difference between you and an ape? Is that, is that what the world is? You know, so apes turn around and have 50 partners a year. Might as well act like an ape. I'm just, you know, an advanced, you know, slime ball. And, and I might as well act like the dogs on the street. Whenever she's in heat, I'm going. Or do you have a, a, a purpose that created you where God turned around and says, I made you, I love you, and, and you were designed with a purpose. Exercise some self-control. And start walking and living according to my ways. Do you know that when you die, you're going to go and stand before the Lord? Do you know that God put you here and He gave you gifts and talents for who you are and there's a purpose in your life? You're not just some waste of flesh. And when you start to think that way, you start to come into the understanding of who God is and you start to fall in love with God. But man puts on these blinders. I don't want to know. I don't want to think about where I came from. I don't want to think about where I'm going. I just want to be happy today. And if that's all you're pursuing is momentary happiness, you're going to be miserable. God wants you to look at Him and to see His strength. He says, verse 21, He says, Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are My servant. I have formed you. You're My servant, O Israel You will not be forgotten by me. There's no need to turn elsewhere. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Here's God's cry. Return to me, for I've redeemed you. I've bought you back. Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel He shouts forth His glory. I've got this wonderful, marvelous plan, we said. God is up there. He's saying, I've got wonderful things happening because He loves you and I. For thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the One who formed you from the womb, I, the Lord, am the Maker of all things. 
stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. And I like this. God's the one who's causing the omens of boasters to fail, making fools out of diviners, causing wise men to draw back and turning their knowledge into foolishness. The foolishness of this world as they think that they have knowledge that's superior to the things of God. We don't need God. And I like this. God's the one that's causing. He's acting. He's involved. Verse 26 says that God's confirming the word of His servant and performing the purpose of His message. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited into the cities of Judah. They shall be built. And I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says to the depths of the sea, Be dried up. And I will make your rivers dry. And then he throws in the kicker and he says, It's I who says of Cyrus. So he's going back to his prophetic word. We got this guy Cyrus coming. He's my shepherd and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, She will be built and of the temple your foundation will be laid. So notice, if you would, there's a contrast of God with His I wills. He's saying, I'm doing something. Contrast that with, if you can go way back into the recesses of your mind, back into Isaiah 14, where we saw the uh, king of Tyre standing up, who was the type of Satan, Lucifer, who stood up and says, I will ascend to be like the Most High. I will do these things. And, and the devil has his wills. He goes, I'm going to be like this. You and I are stubborn, full of our pride. I'll do it my way. And that's going to hit headlong with God who says, I'm going to do it my way. So that's like the freight train coming up to the little dog. <laughs> uh, who's going to win? <laughs> God says there's no competition here. You really think you've got to stand in the way? God says, look at my wills. Look what I said I'm going to do. I have a purpose and a plan. And he's saying, i got Cyrus that's coming. And this is the first time he's going to name him by name. He's alluded to Cyrus. But now he's saying Cyrus. When we get into chapter 45, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand. He's my guy to subdue nations before him. This guy's going to be a military leader. And I like this. It says, to loosen the loins of kings. <laughs> um, uh, that means uh, in modern day translation, to soil your trousers. <laughs> kings are going to be uh, not in control of their bowel movements because of the fear of God. That's what this guy Cyrus is going to do. To open doors before him. So this guy's going to have wide open doors before Cyrus so that the gates, the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you, this guy Cyrus, the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places, so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, because of Israel that is weak, God is going to send him in to liberate. In Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by name. 
I have given you a title of honor. Listen to this. Though you have not known me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, says it the second time, though you have not known me. And so now God's coming up and he's speaking about Cyrus. And he says, Cyrus is going to come. He's not going to know that he's serving the God of Israel. He's not going to know that he's serving Jehovah. He's going to be an instrument in God's hands to bring about a huge victory. He is going to be the one that's going to liberate the Jews from 70 years of captivity from Babylon. We talked about this earlier when we were talking about him, that even the Associated Press pick up the encyclopedia, it's going to recognize that Cyrus was the one that destroyed the mighty city of Babylon. So Babylon became a, a famous city. It destroyed Nineveh at one point. We talked about the wickedness of the Assyrians. We said the Assyrians were going to fall to the Babylonians. Babylon then comes up and destroys Israel, takes Israel, according to God's prophetic word, into captivity for 70 years. They're being held there in slavery and bondage into Babylon. And now what God is saying is because Israel, you failed, you're going to pay the price. But he's telling you, he says, don't worry, there's going to come a day after 70 years like clockwork, this guy Cyrus is going to come marching into the city and he liberates and destroys Babylon. Babylon was a huge fortress of a city. Uh, Some people would say it's got a, a wall of 60 miles in perimeter, 15 miles by 15 miles by 15 miles by 15 miles. It's there. The Babylonians were famous for their hanging gardens is what they were famous for. There was this thing called Alchemedes screw that they, they developed, which was kind of like a corkscrew that they could get water to go uphill. So they cranked this big corkscrew and it sent water up. And inside of Babylon, they had these famous gardens that were up on the second story, if you would, up to the third story. They had hanging gardens. They could water plants way up there. And it was a beautiful, one of the wonders of the ancient world. And, uh, and, and here they were famous. They were powerful. They were strong. Nebuchadnezzar built an empire. They had double walls. You know, in case they breached the first one, there was a second one all the way around the whole city. And you could ride four chariots across this thing. It was a massive thing. And they could sit back and go, <laughs> nobody can touch us. And the Assyrians were sitting down there saying, we're going to crack this nut. And what happened is they had the, um, the Euphrates River flows right through the middle of town. So they had fresh water. They had food. They had abundance. This thing's a couple hundred square miles. The, the Babylonians were, were full of pride. They were the ones that gave us uh, 60 minutes in an hour. That's their whole thing with 60 seconds in every minute. They were the ones that put 360 degrees into a circle and said, why is it that way? Well, that's a Babylonian thing. They, uh, what Babel, I sometimes joke and say they were called the Babylonians or Babylon because they would always talk and they would babble on and on and on, but <laughs> that's not why they called themselves that. Uh, they, they, the, 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 the Babylon was a, a, a Semitic name that, that meant that this is the gate of God. And uh, they stationed their city up to say, this is the gate, of, this is God's gate right here. They prided themselves. They were a military strength. 
they had all their wonders in technology. They were the people that uh, the Tower of Babel was there. They studied astrology. And they also came up with some astronomy things. They were geniuses in what they were doing. And yet these people were oppressing God. And God now is prophesying and says, you're going to fall. You're going to fall on a day. It's going down hard. And what Cyrus did, he was pretty smart. Uh, he turned around and he took the Euphrates River and he diverted the river and put it back into one of its old tracks, built this huge dam upstream. And then as it turns around, he comes marching into the riverbed that went underneath the city walls and all of his men come in and says, Shazam, we're here. And he took the whole city without a fight. So he's smart enough to say, all you got to do is just shut down the water, march through the city, and everything is, is taken care of. And huge victory. And we see some of the story parallels. If you go to Daniel chapter 5, there's a whole story in Daniel chapter 5 where you're hearing about the last night of Babylon. Because we know Daniel was one of the captives there. He's prophesying to the people on future events of the Christ, future events of the things that were happening. Daniel was the enigma cracker, if you would. He interpreted the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. He stood up and was thrown into the lion's den. He had a reputation in town. And there's this guy, Belshazzar, is sitting there. He's the current king. And Belshazzar is sitting down there. He's having a big party with a thousand of his you know, best friends are there, the nobles, the queens. And he's throwing out a big old drunken orgy. And he says, you know what? We're just having some good wine. I'll tell you what we do. We took over that Jewish temple over there. Why don't we grab some of the artifacts that, you know, God said this is this holy, you know, cup and, and holy instruments. Let's go get those and get drunk with those. So they start breaking out some of the things that they had archived in there, grab them and they're getting drunk. And all of a sudden in the middle of this big old party comes, you know, the handwriting on the wall huge hand shows up in the middle of the banquet hall and starts writing on the wall. And it's interesting prophecy. And if you read Daniel chapter 5, it says this guy Belshazzar is sitting down there <coughs> soiling his trousers as he <laughs> is watching the handwriting on the wall. And they go, what does this say? What does this mean? What is happening here? So they're running around, they're trying to find somebody to interpret, to read it, to interpret it. And they go, well, we got this old enigma cracker guy, Daniel, back here. He's some old fart that's been around for forever. Let's go grab him out of the mothballs and, and see what he helped out Nebuchadnezzar quite a bit. So the king says, I'll tell you what, dude, if you could read that, you're going to be the third highest in the kingdom. You, we'll give you everything and everything you want. And Daniel's like, I can read it. I don't want a thing you've got. It says, meanie, meanie, tackle you farson whatever and it's pretty simple it just means you're numbered you're weighed and you're divided and daniel says i'll tell you what you know what uh belshazzar you uh you've been uh, weighed in the uh your 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 kingdom is numbered your days are going to put to an end it's over with pal secondly is the tequel part is that you've been weighed in the scales and you've come up a little short <laughs> You don't want God to say that to you. Hey, dude, I put you in the scales and you're a little bit off. What does that mean? <laughs> and then the Eupharsin part is that uh, your kingdom is divided. You're going down hard. And, and Daniel turns around and says, tonight, tonight's the night you're going down hard. That night 
is when Cyrus comes in, lowers the thing, he sends in his men, they open up the gates, and voila, the gates are going to sit down and be opened, and Cyrus marches in without a fight. And so powerful prophecy as it is, is now we're going back to what God is saying 150 years before this happens. And, and I like this. He says, uh, uh, he says, to loosen the loins of kings, to open the doors before him. You're going to go in there with the doors wide open to take over Babylon so that the gates will not be shut. So look at the play on words there. God's saying, oh, you think you're the gate of the gods? I'll tell you how you're going to go down, gate of the gods. Your gate's going to be wide open. And they had the big Ishtar gate, which is where we get the worship of Easter, supposedly where God was in an egg and came down and landed in Babylon. So that's what made it so happy that God came down in an egg. And, and that's the worship of this Starte. And here God's saying, he's ripping on it, saying, oh, <laughs> I'll show you what your gates are. They're going to be wide open. You think you got security in your walls? They're trash. Here comes Cyrus. He's going to march in. He's not even going to have... Uh, it's going to be so God that I'm just going to give this thing to him like a, a fish handed on a plate. It's the accuracy of the prophecy where we turn around and says, God is sitting down there saying, this is going to happen just the way that it sets out. That he's going to be given the treasures of darkness, the hidden wealth of the secret places with their false religion. It's going down hard. They're there in their pride and they have nothing. So he says, verse 6, he says, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. Drip down, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds pour forth down righteousness. Let the earth open up and salvation bear fruit, and righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And so what you're watching, if you would, is God is injecting himself. And I love that word. He's injecting themselves into man's world. God doesn't stand aloof and say, I, I don't care what happens to you. God's very aware of what happens in your life. And whether you like it or not, God will inject himself into your life. I believe that. Back that up. God injects himself into the world. You and I were worldly people. You can look back at your life and say, you know, I can remember my B.C. days before Jesus came into my life. And I, I, I'm convinced, get me through Marine Corps boot camp, that was an act of God. <laughs> I, didn't, I wasn't born again, but I can remember praying, Lord, thank you for day five. Thank you for day six. Thank you for day seven. <laughs> I can remember distinctly when I was on a motorcycle rolling through the middle of an intersection, drunk, and sitting down there saying, I, I got a scratch on me. And I can, you almost think, God's taking care of me. God's doing something wonderful. Something's happening. Because I could have easily been a hamburger on the side of the road. Yet God preserved me. He, without me even knowing Him, He injected Himself into my life. He preserved me through many series of accidents. I could go on and on and on and on. And I go, God, you, you worked in my life. You were there. God's always there. He's drawing. He's injecting Himself. He says, I created you. I have a purpose for you. And I'm going to get involved in your life, even though you're not asking. And then there comes a time when I acknowledge God. 
And then me as a, as a believer, you know what? Sometimes I struggle and sometimes I wrestle with God and I go, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I have this fantasy in my mind. Well, I'm going to leave God. I'm going to walk away from God. Well, you know what? You can't walk away from God. Because wherever you think you're going to go, God's there. And there's no place you can run from God. He's going to work in your life. Even when you're running from Him, He's going to work in your life and put a conscience, a conviction into your life. God does wonderful things with wonderful people in the least likely places because He's injecting Himself into the world. I don't think I could tell you a song that this band sings. I certainly couldn't quote you a lyric, but I've seen a thousand bumper stickers. I've seen a thousand t-shirts. And I can hear from other people, being that I'm a narrow-minded, pig-headed, born-again, conservative Christian pastor, I don't quite associate with the people that hang out with the band Corn. I don't know if you've ever heard of Corn. I, I, whatever you're out, you're out there and you understand what it is. They're pretty dark and demonic. And I don't know if you caught it. I was just clicking through the MSN news on the web. Interesting little story where the lead guitarist of Corn gets saved. <laughs> and I got a chuckle out of that. And I said, here this guy is thinking, you know, I'm just running from God as fast as I can. And he's hitting the train wreck. Something's bothering him. So here it is. The story is out of Bakersfield, California. It says, a founding member of Korn is leaving the band to focus on his religious beliefs. Korn has parted ways with the guitarist Brian Head Welch, who has chosen Jesus Christ as his Savior. and will be dedicating his music pursuits to that end. Said in a statement posted Tuesday on Korn's website, Welch told the Bakersfield Californian, the newspaper, that his decision might be surprising to some. A lot of people think I'm crazy. I don't care. Welch said he'd become increasingly, listen to this, disenchanted with producing heavy metal music that invokes dark and morbid images. Poor guy. I don't know anything about him. Poor guy, bebopping through life, thinking he's making gobs of money, promoting dark and morbid images. But listen to what's happening. Something's being stirred in his spirit. Something from this guy who's in the outermost reaches of darkness promoting darkness has a check in his spirit. Uh, What I'm doing ain't right. I'm making an awful lot of money doing some things that aren't right. Isn't that amazing? That to me is amazing. That God is pursuing. God is injecting. God is saying, I'm speaking to you, Brian Head Welch, whatever you are. You go, I care about you. Wake up. And this guy has the strength to say, I'll say no to my band with all the cash and the babes throwing themselves at me and the fantasies that are happening. I don't care about that. I want to do the right thing. And for you and I, we sit down there and we say, Lord, I want to do the right thing. I I, I want to wake up from this. And I thank the Lord that He does inject Himself, that He does speak to you and I in the midst of our darkness. And there's no place we can go where God is not. 
And God is speaking and He's saying, I love you. I care about you. There's more for your life than worshiping this rock. Enroll. What happened? There's a hole in your heart. And I'm telling you, that can only be filled with Jesus Christ. And so God goes on, verse 9. He says, Woe to those who quarrel with His Maker. How dare you fight with God? You think an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth? um, That's all you are is we're clay. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? How dare you challenge God? Or the things that you are making saying, He's got no hands. (laughs) God's made a mistake with me. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth, God says. You're my creation. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. I have aroused him in righteousness, speaking of Cyrus again, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and and will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. How's that for a bona fide offer? This guy's not going to charge you nothing. I I work in the the automotive accessories business and uh, I work with a, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, they're, you know, they could be some good people. These these guys, they do the pinstriping. These uh, witnesses, they're called Hot Tropics is the name of their business. And they're pretty good working with a lot of the, the car detail guys. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, everybody wants us to come out and do some work. But we don't ever want to be around people that use the F word. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know, I mean. He goes, you know that four-letter F word? Free. <laughs> We don't want to be around anybody who wants us to do stuff for free. <laughs> the F word. <laughs> you go, oh, wow, not quite what I was thinking. <laughs> but here's music to your ears. Cyrus is coming in and he's going to do it for free. Wow, this is great. And he says, uh, thus says the Lord, the products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature, will come over to you and will be yours. Great rewards are coming. They will walk behind you. They will come over in chains and they will bow down to you. They will make supplications to you. Surely God is with you and there is none else. No other God. So Isaiah's response is, Truly, you are a God who hides Himself. God, we need to be looking, but you're up there. This is amazing what you're doing. I, I, I hope we're just smart enough to look. And most people are not smart enough to look. They're blind. They're stupid. They're hiding. They want to take ridiculous theories and apply them to themselves and treat it as if it's right. When God says, if you're missing me, you're missing everything. Wake up. O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturers of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, 
He is the God who formed the earth and made it and established it and did not create it a waste place or garbage can or desert. God made this for a purpose. It wasn't to be the, the, the trash that we see around us. But he, informed it, but he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there's no one else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Oh, seek me in a waste place. I didn't say, Hey, that's just got to be so hard to find what's in front of you that, that, that you've got to go out to the desert. You've got to go into the trash. You've got to go find God in some mysterious way. I, the Lord, speak righteously, declaring things that are upright. Back to that word, Jeshurun. Upright ones. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol and pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from old? Who has long since declared it? And it's I, the Lord. There's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. You get that on top of it. There's no one else except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. And they will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to Him and all who are angry at Him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. And what God is saying is, you know what? There will come a day when you stand before me on judgment day, you will not be blinded. I like what Alethea taught She was saying that, you know what? All roads do lead to heaven. You know what? Whether you like it or not, I don't care what direction and what you're doing, you will wind up in front of the throne of God on Judgment Day. Your eyes will be open whether you like it or not. If you're a Buddhist, a a monk, this, that, or whatever you think you are, you're going to stand in front of the living God, the creator of the universe, and there you're going to sit down and have every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. You cannot run from judgment day. All roads do lead there. There's only one, though, that's going to get you into day two. (laughs) And that's being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And without, without you walking right before your God, without you confessing Him as Lord, come judgment day is going to be a day of doom. And God says, you know what? You can run, you can hide, you can think that you're worshiping some other God over there, but come judgment day, your eyes are going to be wide open to say, hey, Where's my Buddha? Where's my Allah? Where's my whatever I've been trusting in? Where's my idol to bail me out? It ain't there. There are no other gods. You're going to stand there before God. Your knee is going to bow and you're going to sit down and say, you were right this whole time. And we need to sit down and to understand, to prepare ourselves for that day. To prepare your heart, your life, and to say, Lord, I do want to confess you. 
I want to I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we are faithful to confess Him, He will confess us. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. You hear that? You want to deny the Lord? Nah, I don't need that trash. I just came up from the worms and out of the slime, and that's where I'm going back, and I don't need God in my life. You want to reject God? Well, you can be weak, as weak as you want, and say, God, I can't do it. I can't quit. I can't do anything in my life. I need help. And if you're appealing to God for that sense of help, then God is always there, always there to help you. You turn your back on God, you got problems. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God so your sins can be wiped away. You need to be His child because if you're God's child, God will always take care of you. You need to be in love with God so that you write His name upon your hand. You can sit down and say, I just want more church. I want more Bible. I want more of God. I just want to talk about God. I love God. I'm like a little schoolgirl. Oh, God. Have that giddy, happy feeling inside of you towards your Lord and your Savior. You can't hide. I don't care where you think you're going to hide. There's no place you can hide from God. You can't run into sin. You can't sit down or whatever. I don't care if you're Mr. Guitarist for corn. You're going to turn around and inside your heart, you're going to know, you know, you know, something inside of you wants to be right with the Lord. And I can beg you to say, make today to be the day. Get yourself right with God and say, Lord, it's as simple as saying, I'm a sinner. I need to acknowledge you as my Lord. Father, I need a Savior. Come into my life. Fill me with your Spirit. I need the new strength. God created you. He has a purpose for you. And He wants you to be home with Him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do pray that uh, our eyes would be open, Father, here today. That You would open the Spirit, Father, side of us so that we would see the truth, Father, and that we would not stand before You on Judgment Day a day late and a dollar short. Father, I pray that we would live for You. I pray, Father, that hearts would be converted, that nobody would leave this room, Father, without making sure that if they were to die today, they would be standing before Your throne with right standing. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know You, I pray that they would just pray a simple prayer to say, Father, I am weak. I am tired. I need Your strength. Fill me with Your Spirit, Father. Forgive me for my sins, for they're many. Father, I need to be born again. Father, I pray that we would not pursue the working of our hands, the idols of this world, that we would not turn away from You, Father, so that on Judgment Day we could embrace You and love You and be thankful for Your love and Your mercy. Father, instill in us that giddy schoolgirl love of knowing that You are there for us, that You are a wonderful God with a marvelous plan that is working out a Savior for us. We thank You for the prophetic Word. We thank You for the words that You've given to us, Father. Encourage us to get through this week in our life. Father, I just praise You and I thank You and I give You all the glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.